Welcome to the Great Lakes Golf Podcast, Episode 8, alongside Hunter Pulaski. I am Peter Garber. We are presented by Reed Furniture in Petoskey. Whatever your furniture need, it's Reed indeed. Go see Jim Reed and tell him we sent you. In today's episode, we're so excited to review Whistling Straits. What an amazing golf course. Uh, We played there on Friday. Can't wait to tell you all about it. We'll also recap Rory's win at the Wells Fargo. So happy for McElroy. Preview the Byron Nelson at its new location, TPC Craig Ranch, and right at the top, we're going to talk about some really remarkable developments in the careers of some young Michigan golfers. Let's go. Okay, so big week, huh? We have a uh, we had a big week personally in terms of playing golf, which we can't wait to tell everybody about, but also. The state of Michigan was busy with headlines, golf headlines, uh, since our most recent episode last week. So why don't you start by catching us up on what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, um, some good um, players that uh, are from, from really regionally very close to us that uh, had some decent performances uh, over the weekend. We talked about P.J., Maybank from Sheboygan last week, I believe, uh, 16 years old. Um, he just played in the Michigan Meadow play, which was previously the Horton Smith Invitational. Uh, he finished second uh, with scores of 71, 62, 80, and 67. And that was so, at the D- Detroit Golf Club? Correct, yeah, at uh, Detroit Golf Club. Um, obviously, 62 is a heck of a score out there, followed up with a, with a rough round. Uh, on his third 18, but came back strong with a 67. Um, so obviously, that's a par 72, right? He shot 10 under par 70. So I'm not sure if it's always par 70. Okay, okay. Now that seems before. that seems right. I walked it. I just can't. Rem- I couldn't remember. Actually, yeah. The more we're talking about, I do believe he actually is regularly a par 70 as well. Um. So. Th- Obviously, very impressive for a sixteen-year-old. He was the the kid that won it. Is a senior at Michigan State um, that has had a, a very good amateur career. That I am blanking on his name right now. I believe it's James Piot, maybe something like that. That's pretty yeah. sweet, though. So, like a five-year age gap. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then uh, another story out of uh, there's a kid named. Alex Scott, who is 24 years old, he went to uh, Traverse City West High School uh, and then went to Grand Valley for college. Um, in high school, he wasn't, he was like nothing to write home about in his first couple of years. Uh, I found something that his average uh, freshman year high school was, was barely 77. And he consistently improved that over his four years. Went to Grand Valley, freshman year, shot 70, average 76 and then 73. 70 and then senior 71 he just mundied into the corn fairy event this week so uh, obviously a very very close local tie that's awesome to see uh, i did i don't know if i ever actually played with him in high school i think just i was a senior when he was a sophomore so uh, i think he was like the three or four spot but it's cool to see these guys that you would have thought maybe six seven years ago he, it's cool to see what he's developed into obviously he's a hell of a player i saw 
um, a stat that his his last four or five Monday qualifiers have all been in like the 67 to 63 range for these Monday events. So Git can obviously play. So it's it hopefully he has some success this week. Yeah, congrats to him. He's been grinding for it for a while at it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Playing on some, uh, I think it's, the, is that the Swing Thought Tour? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yep. Yeah, he just, just won one of those, uh, I believe, at the beginning of the year. So Yeah, that's awesome. good. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice to see some local guys having some uh, success. Yeah, definitely. And then did you want to talk on the, or uh, excuse me, did you want to touch on the Walker Cup real quick as well? And then I'll get to some of the PGA and Corn Ferry stuff. Yeah, we'll stick with uh, the amateur golf. Um, the Walker Cup was this past weekend down at Seminole. Have you ever played Seminole? Ever walked it? Ever been on the property? No, I have not, but I've heard it's pretty amazing. And I saw yeah. <laughs> some of the uh, images. It looks pretty spectacular. But I heard it was, I think I saw some rumblings on Twitter that it might have been too hard. The greens were too fast. Uh, I did see I did see that too. Uh, especially because it's, it's an interesting dynamic when you get to these team events. You want to, I think there's a very, um, a good combination of needing to have different types of holes and a lot of them need to be birdie holes to make it more interesting. Um, so you don't ever want like the golf course to be too hard where where bogeys are are winning holes more times than not. But some interesting, the Seminole doors close at 6 p.m. Like you cannot be on the golf course no matter who you are after 6 p.m., which I found pretty cool. Just for, or I guess maybe not cool as a golfer, but imagine having a job there, like being the head pro there. Make it, you can make it home for dinner every night. Yeah, it seems. I don't think I get it. Like, what is the point of that? No, I have no idea. I, I didn't do much research. And they must have no dining facilities or anything there. Yeah, they must not. It must just be. So it is it is Seminole Golf Club, isn't it? I mean, it means you have to tee up by 1 p.m. to get your round in for the day. You're not cruising out there to play a quick nine after work, Hunter. No, no, you're not. But the, I think the, the thought process is if you're a member of Seminole, you're a member probably right down the road, too, or could be pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, but, probably true. Well, cool for those kids to be able to play at a golf course like that. And then I think part of the reason you mentioned that is because they were playing the golf course after six, which yeah. none of the members get to do, right? Yeah, none of the members, uh, tour players, anybody. Uh, nobody is playing that golf course except for for these kids. So, yeah, pretty cool um, moment for them. And uh, congratulations to the United States. I think they won 14-12. to 12. Um, Oh, couple, we did win. Yes, we did win. And, oh, good. Uh, a name to, to keep in mind um, over the next decade, two decades, Cole Hammer. He's at Texas right now. He has, and, and Texas obviously breeds some pretty good golfers, um, as who was one of my picks this week actually, is a Texas alum. Um, so that's the name that he played awesome, I, I believe. Uh, I believe he was undefeated for the week. Uh, we can check that in the corrections. but um, He's in the field this week on the PGA Tour. Is he? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, he's. Uh, so you can burn, you can, you can light some money on fire, Hunter. Yeah. I know. I, uh, I'll know. You'll be scrolling down looking for his top forty odds. Oh, actually, that's the. I, did, I had not uh, just learning he's in the field, so I. Might and of to. course, it's in the state of Texas, in McKinney, Texas. So, 
Yeah, no, it'd be a good fit. So that's a name to keep in mind. Uh, he he seems very um, very on top of his game right now. Has has good control of it, and, and he's uh, has a pretty bright future, I think. University of Texas guy. Correct. Okay, following in the Spieth, Scheffler, um, Gim. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Gim's been playing well lately. Okay, so then on the uh, PGA side, Brian Stewart who y'all know is from Jackson, had a good Sunday, shot 68. That put him in a tie for 37th for the week. He's won 12th in the FedEx Cup. Not as good a week for the other guys that we follow. uh, Ryan Brem missed the cut at Wells Fargo, shot 76-74. And Joey Garber missed the cut on the number in the Corn Ferry event. Um, I believe they're all back in action uh, this week. And then over on the... Champions Tour. I always want to call it the Senior Tour, but the Champions Tour. <laughs> Another Midwesterner had a really good week. Uh, Steve Stricker lost in a playoff, unfortunately, but played well. And you probably know he's from Edgerton, Wisconsin, and went to uh, the University of Illinois. So, also interesting to mention this week because he'll be captaining the Ryder Cup team this fall at Whistling Straits, which is where you and I spent our Friday afternoon. Yeah, we sure did. Uh, we'll get into it, but what what, a, what an experience um, from start to finish, from the hail to the wind to the the golf course. Uh, it was a pretty un- unbelievable experience. If you want to, you want to set it up a little bit. Yeah, would you like me to, or would you like the honors? I know that you went and played a little warm up nine. I didn't know if you wanted to yeah. disclose that down the road. Yeah, um, <laughs> So I'll just give like a quick um, overview of the weekend. So uh, three of us from Petoskey left at 12.30 on Thursday afternoon. We got down to Peter's Place in Chicago Thursday night. We woke up Friday morning. Mark and I went and played a, well, what we're going to consider a practice round uh, <laughs> of, nine, of nine holes at a course called The Bull. And let me tell you the name fit perfectly because this course was hard it was a very good fit for like, what we were going into course rating of we were playing the we played the blue tees course rating is 76 to start the morning 40 degrees out and we have to go play whistling in two hours uh actually very cool course uh i liked the wisconsin sneaky sneaky cool um layouts out there as far as i mean this was in the woods off the there were holes that were off the cliff, off the cliff line, back in the woods, uh, through the river. So it was really pretty. So uh, on Lake Michigan? No, no. On, uh, I don't I don't know what uh, what creek it was. A river no. that goes through Sheboygan Falls or whatever. Yeah, it was probably about a half hour, uh, half hour southwest of um, Whistling, I would say. So we played, uh, we played that in about an hour and 45 minutes. Uh Cool start to the day, and then Mark and I drove over to Whistling and and met you and Tad to have uh, lunch before a round. And we are we are sitting in the the dining room area, the clubhouse area, and we're looking outside the window, and it is pouring rain. It couldn't have been raining much harder. And if I wouldn't have already like paid and committed, and actually that's actually. Really, so if we weren't playing, it, it was funny because like there was never that thought like, 
well, are we going to play because it was whistling? But like, there's aren't there aren't many courses I think that that have the ability for me to think like that. So I I was like I was still so stoked to go because you looked at the radar and it didn't look like it didn't look great. <laughs> it looked like it was going to it was going to rain for a good majority of the day. I thought. Yeah, but the view past what you could see of the golf course through the rain is still enough to get you excited despite the rain. So speaking of the clubhouse, I guess for anybody who's not all that familiar with Whistling Straits, we're talking about the Sheboygan, Wisconsin, basically. So it's part of this resort, one of four courses, um, the Kohler Company. So there's the American Club in Kohler, Wisconsin, and then... This golf course is over on the lake, a little bit of a drive, maybe a 10-15 minute drive to the north to get to this particular site where there are two courses, the Straits course and a course called the Irish. Obviously, we played the Straits course, and that is the course that has been host, you know, hosted the 2004 and 10 and 14 PGA Championships, 07 Senior US Open when Daly threw his club into Lake Michigan or whatever. And it's going to host, as I mentioned, the upcoming Ryder Cup. So it's a P diet, 7,800 yards. The slope is 152. It's built on what was formerly a military training facility. And most notably, completely flat ground, which you would never know from driving in because... Even when you drive in and you drive past this cool kind of steel-looking sign with the Whistling Straits emblem on it, everything is mounding. Even by the road, there's mounds and steep mounding with bunkers sort of placed into the sides of these mounds. It's, It's known for how many bunkers are on the property. Basically, when you get off the fairway here, it's kind of a mess of bunkers. So... That being said, it's kind of understated, I would say, as you drive in. Like, there's really nothing else by the golf course. You don't know you're approaching the golf course, necessarily. There is one small sign from the county road or whatever that you pull off of that, you know, takes you the final two-mile stretch or whatever to the entrance. I would I say... To, go I ahead. Stop my, uh, I had to, to stop my Google Maps and... and like re make sure I was going to the right place at probably, I don't know, we were, we were probably 10 minutes away at that point and you were in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And like you said, you had no idea you were pulling up except for that, that very, very small sign. You had, there was just, there was no idea you were even getting close to a golf course, especially a golf course this magnitude. Yeah. You're talking about the number, what, 23 course in the U S or whatever, based on the most recent golf digest. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 23, 24, or something like that. So, um, you'd never know it. I mean, it's purely destination golf. Let's just say they're not getting a lot of local play. You'd agree with that, right? <laughs> I, I can't imagine playing that golf course on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> it would seem to... I think it would become more fun, but you would imagine that maybe it's like... It's grueling enough of a challenge that you want to do it once and say that you did it and be done, but um, probably depends on your fitness too because it's just a challenging walk because all the ground is uneven. But Mm -hmm. 
Um, before I get too far off track, so you pull in, you're going down this kind of windy drive. There's like mounding and bunkering, almost as like a foreshadowing to what you're going to encounter on the golf course, even though that's not the golf course right there. It's you're driving in from away from the lake, obviously, towards the lake, which is where the golf course is positioned. So as you pull in, there are two putting greens right and left. Next to the putting green on the left is the clubhouse. It's a two-story, beautiful gray stone building that's framed by these four chimneys. Um, really a cool look. And then from there, that's kind of the high point of the property. You go, you can look sort of down towards the water. So there are really good views from up by the clubhouse. Like Hunter, like I mentioned, when we're sitting in the clubhouse having lunch, you look through those, you can look through those windows and see 18 green and nine green down there, which kind of come together. And those are, those are two holes that go from the water straight back to the clubhouse. And that's all from your vantage point at the clubhouse. You're up high and you're, that's kind of the high point of the property. Um, so it's two stories. You walk in, the club, the pro shop is on your right. It's pretty small. Were you surprised at how small the club, uh, the pro shop was? Uh, I would say I was, you were, I think you're, I was surprised probably about the overall size of the whole building. I mean, it was, it was a pretty subtle size for the for the whole entire clubhouse um in general i think but the yeah the pro shop wasn't huge but it had a lot of in a lot of rider cup branded stuff um ton of cold weather gear obviously i'm sure i'm sure they just make a absolute killing in that department but no i think uh you come for the golf i don't know if you know it it wasn't like i wasn't blown i didn't go upstairs i probably should i should have went upstairs to so upstairs is a across from the pro shop which as i said is on your right when you walk in the double doors to the front to the left is a restaurant and that's where the kitchen is above the restaurant is a bar smaller has a cool fireplace in it that's on the second story there was no room in there we actually would have preferred to eat there it's a better view down obviously because you're up higher um and it's more of a bar atmosphere or whatever uh where the restaurant is not formal but people who are not playing the golf course come eat there Uh, Less so the bar upstairs and then across from the bar is the men's locker room Which you can is all you have to do is say I need a locker today So if you wanted you could have a locker We went in there and that turned out to be kind of interesting because we ended up talking to the locker room attendant Who explained a couple of things about the upcoming Ryder Cup that were of interest one was that Stricker chose that locker room and that building over the champions locker room, which is actually much bigger, it's two buildings over from the main clubhouse, because he wanted the smaller, sort of more quaint, and it is quite small, uh, maybe six shower stalls, the bathroom, can't be more than 80 or 100 lockers in there, I would guess, and then a fireplace and a couple of chairs towards the back with a card table, or excuse me, a card room, Um behind a swinging door all the way to the edge there that uh, the locker room attendant was nice enough to walk us through, but that's presumably where Steve would have his meetings with vice captains. Um, But they wanted that locker room because they didn't want to feel like they were in a big space with only, you know, 15 guys, whatever it is, the captain, two vice captain, and 12 players. So um, that was sort of interesting. Um, You want to talk about the range yeah, um, I thought the range was awesome. Uh, so it, it was mats only, which I think is, I was kind of expecting, I think. Um, so not not the biggest of deals. Um, 
And actually, the bull was also um, mats only, uh, where Mark and I played previously. And that that range was also mats and directly downwind. You left that range feeling like you were you're about to go break a course record. Um, but no, I, I thought the I love when they actually when ranges are actually built similar to what a golf course would look like as far as having having shorter grass on the greens, uh, around the greens, um, having the fringe. So it, it looked aesthetically very pleasing. I think there's a couple of bunkers out there too, right? There were, yeah. So no, overall, nothing like mind-blowing, but still really, really good. And it has plenty of one thing of note is that it's, it doesn't require a net or anything like that. Obviously, they have a huge piece of property here, so there's plenty of room to hit drivers and and things like that. So you never feel... You don't feel cramped like some of the ranges out there. So, and then yeah. two two putting greens, one near the front tee on one side of the drive on the way in, and then an, uh, another slightly more substantial putting green on the other side. Um, both of which are, I think, pretty reflective of what the the greens that you encounter out on the, out on the golf course. So that's a good. That's always a a bonus when you walk onto a putting green and then get onto the first green and you're like, okay, this isn't totally different than what I just warmed up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So in terms of the actual golf course, you're playing, the routing is out and back twice. So just, you're going out the front nine, down to the shoreline, turning, looping back towards the clubhouse. Same with the back nine in the opposite direction. The two nines are separated by a sort of clump of trees that sort of goes in a straight line between the clubhouse and the water. So the front nine is one loop. The back nine is another loop. You never see anybody on the back from the front. You never see anybody on the uh, front from the back. It's also one of the most interesting things about Whistling Straits, and then we can get more into our, our impressions of the golf course and whether we liked it or not, and some of our favorite holes and stuff like that. But I mentioned it was built on completely f- flat ground. They trucked in all this dirt and sand and whatever to build what is essentially a tiered system of holes so what you have and you almost don't even notice it when you're out there like the first time i played it i was like gosh i feel like i played a lot of holes on the water which is kind of the cool part of whistling straights you're not playing every hole on the water you just feel like you are because it's built on a shelf so every fairway is flat and then to the water side of every fairway is a valley into a group of bunkers leading to another flat fairway that also feels like a waterside hole, but which you don't observe from the neighboring fairway because you are on higher ground. So what they attempted to do, and which they were very successful at, which was creating the impression that you are playing along the water more often than you are. I would say it is the best use of waterside property if you don't mind the somewhat artificial nature of the foundation that I have ever played. Oh, no, I don't think it's close. Like, and you, and you, you'd have to have some eye to be able to tell that that was artificial. If you, if you didn't know, I mean, it, it, it looks so perfectly designed. And to your point, even more with the, I want to say, I want to say Tad mentioned something on like the eighth hole where he's like, we, it feels like we have played every single hole by the water. And it was, it was fascinating to see when you were playing a hole and all you did, and just 
depending on which way you were going, just 10, 15 yards to the right or left of the fairway was a huge drop off. And you always could see the water, which was, which was really, really cool too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's kind of the hallmark of the foundation. And then in terms of the visual, it's all the mounding and the bunkering, like I said. So all the fairways are green and then everything else looks kind of brown and sandy. Um, which gives it a really interesting, if you ever looked at a postcard or whatever you have, it's you're, you're at your computer and you just pull it out right now. Like you look at 17 and you're hitting it up and there's a green throat neck of a fairway up to a beautiful green uh, putting surface. And then to the left of the green, it's just brown. That's the fescue and stuff. Um, and so visually, it's mul- it's a, sort of like a multicolor experience. So for finding eye lines and things of that nature, you're aiming at either those, what I think are juniper brushes, bushes, Correct. or you're aiming at bunkers that they built to serve as targets. Caddies will say... See that bunker that looks like the shape of Texas? That's where we're going. So that's sort of an interesting design feature of the golf course. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think from a from a mental standpoint, in a lot of ways, if you can get past the the intimidation of the whether it be the the severe drop off or all of these bunkers, only having having these whether it be the juniper bushes or the the pot bunker only having this this one spot to hit at it almost helps you helped me at least with first time playing the golf course you tell me one place that this is where you hit it at least it takes out a lot of the the guesswork as far as finding sight lines so i did i did like that aspect of it where and a lot of times there weren't many things besides like these one or two bushes pot bunkers to aim at that made sense yeah and one more thing of note before we just get on to what we thought of it and how you enjoyed your time and particularly you because this was my third time playing there all those juniper bushes that i mentioned were not there originally Mm -hmm. so that they planted those based on feedback for a lack of target lines because people were getting out there and particularly you may have noticed from the black tees where the pros play not only are those significantly further set back from the blue tees which is where we played from from about 67 6800 yards they're on lower ground so they want you hitting into the face of these mounds to create an additional visual challenge i.e not being able to see clearly the surface of the fairway um and if you don't have target lines when you're looking at a wall of bunkers or whatever you're not going to have a lot of happy golfers you know they everybody wants something to aim at so that those were actually planted later after the golf course first opened which must have been like what mid to late nineties or something? I didn't bother to look, but yeah, I wasn't sure. But it, those those uh, black tees were we didn't play any of them, but they looked so intimidating for that exact reason. Where typically uh, the, the blue tees were maybe not necessarily elevated, but they were they were easily twenty yards higher than the black tees. More cases than not. So just the the yeah, like you said, the additional. Uh, need to find a target and and hit a good tee ball um, becomes glorified from those back tees. Yeah, I think the elevation change is going to be something that sort of goes is not something that always translate, 
translates when you watch golf on television. So this fall when we're watching the Ryder Cup, people might think oh, like the golf course looks kind of flat. And it's really not. It's not like on hills or in any natural terrain that has steep grades or whatever. Um, but they built it to where there are significant elevation changes within individual holes to make either shots more challenging or poor shots more penal. So it's really a golf course that you can tell when you're there. It was built, they built it with the express purpose, not only of destination golf and something that's totally unique to the other courses in the area, if not the country, but something that was built to host championship golf courses because it can play particularly in the weather that we played it and if you play it all the way back close to impossible for any golfer in the world including the world's best agreed um so tell me it was your first time what were your overall impressions of it how would you rank it and maybe walk me through some of your favorite holes uh yeah uh, I, I would say I mean I'm sure it sounds cliche but I was I was pretty blown away by by just about uh, everything about the golf course, um, aesthetically, it, it couldn't have been it couldn't have been more pleasing. And it was at the same time we we've mentioned the ratings, we've mentioned the slope. At the same time, it, it was playable if you were hitting your your tee ball in play. And the greens, I never felt like the greens were unfair by any means. Uh, I think they do a really good job of monitoring. I'm not sh- monitoring the speed of them, so the wind doesn't take over at any point. But I think the 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 thing that I notice most is that it invites you in in the first six holes. The first six holes, you think, okay, this isn't that tough. That it's a it's a medium length par four to start. Goes into a par five into a, a short par three number four is a hard hole and then um number five help me out is that a is that a par four five is when you turn and play a par five and that coming back in the opposite direction yes and then uh six is a short par four mm-hmm. so those first, first six holes uh nothing crazy and then it really kind of it gets a little bit more difficult and then it kind of flips the switch on you um the wind. Um, I, I do starting to really like golf courses where they're they're using their terrain. They're using <clears throat> everything is built, and uh, you're never hitting a golf shot, or you, and you're using never hitting a golf shot in the same direction more than a couple times in a row. It seems like you're going back and forth. So that you had to use that as far as the wind goes. Uh, I mean, it changed every every hole or two. You were going in somewhat different of a direction. So it, it was. It wasn't like a, a back and forth, country club style by any means. So I, f- I found that pretty cool. Um, what was your favorite hole on the golf course? I've been thinking about this since Friday at whatever time we finished, like eight o'clock. I think it's. I think it's eighteen, and I've uh, and I think there's. I I have never. I don't think I've ever stood on a tee box and seen like a, a cooler looking hole that didn't involve water. So I, I think if it just, it was the, for anybody that doesn't know, it's, uh, there's a, uh, 
pretty wide fairway out to the right. This is coming back at the clubhouse, as Peter mentioned, 9 and 18. So it's a pretty big fairway right, and then the left is a just a complete drop-off with whether it be probably about 200 bunkers and um, pretty thick grass that mounds the entire left side cliff. So essentially, it's, it, it's visually stunning, and it's visually very intimidating too because the farther right you go, the longer shot you have on this 470, 480-yard hole. So you want to take as much off of it as you can. Um, and then the the shot coming in is awesome with the the clubhouse, the the champion's lounge, uh, everything up on the hillside. Um, and then I can imagine middle of the summer, that gets pretty rowdy around there. Coming into the 18 for like a little bit of a grandstand experience. Um, so I think I think that was my favorite hole, um, and it was it was, but it was a bear. So like you're coming through 17 holes of walking 7,000 yards, and you get to 18, you go, well, I guess we got like we got one more because the, I've seen and read, read articles that that final four holes, is, some very very demanding golf, I have um, I have some yardages right here. Starting on 15, um, from the tees we played, so the tips probably add another 40, 50 yards. 15, 464, 16, 545, 17, 223, 18, 487. <laughs> so, and 15, 15's India too, into the wind. So <laughs> overall. Um, and 16 too, yeah. And 17. Yeah. So overall, I, th- I thought the call, like I said before, the golf course was fair. It demanded a tee shot on almost every single hole. There were places to miss, but being the first time, you didn't really want to find those places to miss on your first time. So um, thankfully, I, I, I avoided the bunkers quite a bit for the most part. I, I hit a, um, a few, and those are tough because, because like you said, there's so many of them. And obviously, they're not, they're not like all maintained so it's you can get some pretty funky lies in there and um a lot of times you you're gonna have a tough time finding a stance or even getting that, getting that ball out in the first time yeah there will be some unplayable lies and stuff like that when we watch in the fall and i'm sure that took place also in the uh in the tournaments um previous to the Ryder cup this year the pga championships and the senior u.s open so um it really it's a mix of regular bunkers and waste bunkers as as Hunter mentioned and which we obviously saw bear itself out in a terrible way with Dustin Johnson grounding his club on 18 which when you play 18 you realize just how far right of the fairway he was there but um they're not that distinguishable from each other necessarily and the effect of having 1100 bunkers on one golf course with severe mounding is that it's almost kind of disorienting. So I can totally understand how he got um, mixed up there. But it's also, you know, it should, this golf course is not links in the sense that it is target golf. Like you're almost never hitting less than driver. You can hit less than driver on uh, 14, 6, Nine, you can probably hit a three wood. There's a couple you can hit some three woods if you want. But for the most part, this golf course was built to be long and straight off the tee. That is the 
the best way to succeed there, and it is forgiving enough at the green to where if you're hitting good iron shots, you can get some flattish putts from the 10, 15 foot range and even closer. So the golf course is sets up really well for the American side because it is more of what I would call American links, which is still playing quote unquote seaside in this case, lakeside in windswept conditions with prominent bunkering and bunkering being the main design feature of the golf course. However, this baby's stretched out to 7,800 yards. The fairways are, you know, relatively forgiving. The fescue is largely playable. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it sets up really well for us, uh, this fall. Were there any holes that you did just, that you didn't like or anything about the experience that you weren't a fan of? Uh, the only hole that I wasn't super keen on was hole five. Um, so I, I, I truly believe that a par five is a par five for a reason. You should be able to hit driver on par five. Par five is supposed to, is supposed to help out the longer hitter and supposed to level the playing field a little bit and par five and number five, you really, I think if you play enough times, you might be able to find that sliver of fairway further down, um, closer to the hole but you really can't hit driver on this par five so you're stuck hitting essentially i didn't have a great i had, didn't have a great drive so i had a bad lie and so i was essentially stuck hitting a hybrid i went hybrid hybrid nine iron something like that so i didn't and it, it was just mostly just because of the fact that i i wasn't able to hit driver when in a lot of these other cases that, that you just mentioned this was like a driver's paradise. If you're hitting the driver well, you can you can solve a lot of your problems at this golf course very quickly, um, and you just weren't able to on on that hole. And I think that was just I think that was more mostly because I hadn't played it. I think if I could play it again, I could probably even take driver and just go a little bit further, cut that corner a little bit more. So it's a dog leg right. You're hitting off a fairway that's dog legging to the right off the tee, and you have to pick a line over water into a fairway that's getting narrower the more you push the distance so your caddy will recommend you lay up with a three metal or a hybrid or something into the fatter part of the fairway and play it as a three-shot hole and then you turn as you get out there to play your second and the hole is doggling to the right as i say and then there's another pond to the left it is in my opinion the 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 worst hole on the golf course I don't love it. It also doesn't help that I'm three for three putting my own ball in that second pond. Unbelievable. I've also hit it through the fairway left, which Mark did in our group, and which is really easy to do when you're hitting less than driver on a dog leg to the right over water. So, I mean, I'm like a combined. I chipped in for par once, and I think I have two doubles is my is my record on that hole. So I have no... I, there's not a single thing about that hole that I like. That being said, if you played that hole on a regular golf course, you might think it was one of the better holes, just because it's. <laughs> Isn't that exactly so? It's such a relative, relative thing. Because it's still about. a challenge, and it's telling you if you can hit a three wood in the fairway dead straight twice, I'll give you a wedge into the green. If yeah. you can't, you're going to be either hitting a third shot from much farther back and it has to be over water and you're likely going to be playing into into the wind um mm-hmm. 
to a smallish green, uh, or you're going to be way out to the right if, if you don't hit it straight, and you're going to be hitting into the green from the hay or, or a waste bunker or whatever. So it, it's not like it's a it's terrible. The other one that I'm not a huge fan of is 10, which is the shortest, along with 14, the shortest par 4 on the course. We actually played that up from the greens, which I think was like a 320 or 330. I think they're going to push the tees up even farther than that because that's really the that and 14 you can with your where you put the tee you can make it drivable so i think they'll want that for match play for Ryder cup so don't be surprised if you see guys driving it up by the green on 10 but it's kind of a just a straight uphill shot with a green that's just sitting on top of a little rise uh, with a severe gully if you miss the green to the left so it's a huge fairway but it's all going to the right uh with the green set left sort of beyond straight shot from the tee to the green goes over the gully fairway wraps around to the right so you're hitting straight uphill it's kind of a goofy shot vis- visually and then the second shot is really hard to judge because it's an infinity edge there's nothing behind that green it's the high spot on the back nine so um how would you rank this on maybe like a one to ten or a, or in comparison with the other golf courses that you've played is it in your top ten? Oh yeah yeah, I mean, it's got to be, I would think it's got to be top two or three, depending on the day. I don't really know. I feel like you can give a, you can give as much of a ranking as you, as you want, but it's just, it just all kind of depends on only thing that, that kind of, that I struggle with is I, I do like when greens are, I don't even they weren't smooth, but I don't really know how they could be smooth. And I wonder, and I'm sure just because of the time of year, but I would have liked the greens to be a little bit smoother. I know they can't get super fast, but, and I think that was, like I just said, just because of the fact it was beginning of May, that's going to play a factor. Um, and the fact that you were putting over hail a couple times. Yeah, that that definitely, yeah, that played a factor too. I I think. Um, I thought you could see like some punch marks in the, in the green, like the greens have been kind of treated. And that's just, you got to understand. We played pretty much pushing the end of the spring season, which means you get to pay a lower rate. Mm-hmm. It's still really an expensive place to play, though it's though it's worth it to somebody who loves golf. Um, is you got to understand we're playing at the end of the this is the last chance at the spring rate. Like I think the greens are going to get better, and then you have to stay and play. So they know the greens aren't that good, and that our caddies told us I think they had opened two or three weeks two or three weeks ago so just before we got there so knowing that i'd say they're okay but you're right you're not gonna get you're not gonna go like the greens we played the next day were way better <laughs> that's and the greens mark and i played earlier that day were also um pretty sweet too so just for somebody that can't make a pot to save their life i would just like fast it's an easy it's an easy excuse for me to think of and just one little thing i can i can knock at it because i thought td green i played like really well but i just couldn't make any of those like eight foot birdie putts 10 foot birdie putts 15 foot birdie putts but oh you did you did play really well i thought for your first time the key is to hit your driver well and you hit your driver really straight so i think you should have been i hope you left there happy and having had a good time and feeling like you at least played well enough to get a feel for what the golf course is meant to be oh 100 percent. i can think of i can think of like four or five shots that i would want back then that would be really just be putting at that point. Um, but 
I, I, that was the first time that I've had a caddy and since amateur golf in high school. So it, that was, that was a cool experience. Um, well, one of the notable things is that, first of all, I found it interesting that you don't have to take a caddy anymore, at least yeah. right now, which started as a COVID thing. But let me follow up quickly on that point by saying, I don't know a single, I've never met a single person to whom I would recommend they go play Whistling Straits and carry their bag. You need a caddy. It is a hard walk. It is challenging. I'm in my mid-30s and in relatively decent physical fitness, not like I'm not about to go run a marathon or anything, but like I'm I'm sore after and I'm and I'm there are times during the round where I'm catching my breath. Like I said, it's like you're descending a flight of stairs if you miss your the fairway on the low side every time you go down. And what happens when you have to get back up to the fairway? You have to come right back up those stairs. Only they're not stairs. It's just the earth, and you have to find your own way up. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully, that's, that's, I guess that's an advantage of, of hitting a lot of fairways is you save a lot of steps. I think I... So it was it was you and I had a caddy carrying our bags and yeah. then Mark and Mark and Tad had a had a caddy carrying their bags. And I think our caddy might have left that day a little more a little less exhausted than than Mark and Tad going uh up and down because they were they were a little more over, all over the place. But that saved you a lot of steps not going down. So yeah, think about that when you're hitting T shots, you go, Do I wanna make this walk a hundred feet down the cliff? Well, it's kind of a negative thought, Hunter. I think the more I don't, I don't think that a golf psychologist, sports psychologist, would tell you to think in terms of those negatives. I think they would just say, "Look at the see ball, hit see ball, see fairway, hit ball in fairway." But you get the thing is, if you're going to go play there, you're thinking about playing there. You want to go watch the Ryder Cup, whatever. I know they do that goofy ticket lottery. That really is a. I really don't enjoy because I really wanted to go myself and I couldn't get through or whatever, but. It's a challenging walk. It is hilly, and the ground is very uneven. So you are walking down, you're walking up, you're walking on the side, side, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? No, exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I would. I would definitely recommend that you are in. You don't have to be in peak physical condition, but at least be. I mean, somewhat active to play that golf course. At least. Uh, to not feel like you are completely dead after you finish. Those are two things you don't want to be surprised by when you get there. One is it's waterside and unprotected. So it's 10 degrees colder there than it is everywhere else that you are in that area. And you're in for a challenging walk. Like you don't want to wear your new golf shoes, you you know, none of that. You want to be in your most comfortable gear and ready to go walk. 10 yeah, would, miles on uneven it feels kind of like hiking if you're into that you just have to hit in my case a lot of golf shots on your on your on your hike yeah um i actually wore um soft spikes and i think i slipped like two or three times and, I, and those two or three slips were well worth needing them for if i think if i would have had spikes on my shoes that day you could have you could have dragged me off after 10 like 11 12 i wouldn't have but the soft spikes really did make a difference second time second time i played there shout out to alan wallace who i played with had to pull over if you will on 14 fairway 
go up on the side of the hill, de-shoe, put band-aids and tape over blisters, re-shoe, and then play his way in. So he's effectively limping. And to his credit, he was also nutting every shot. It was pretty impressive. He played phenomenal down the stretch, but it'll it'll get you if yeah. you're not ready. Yeah, I think you have to be I think you have to be very mentally prepared for it, but I think just the the atmosphere that you're walking into in a way gets you mentally prepared for you're going to play whistling straights. You are walking, so you have a little bit more time to to focus. Um but it it demands excellence in a lot of in a lot of places. Um and like I said, I I would love to to play it a second time and just to see those few those few shots that I left short sided, twenty five feet below the green in a bunker. I'd like to not have those shots a second. Like, there's a place where you can miss. You just have to find it. Yeah, is I feel like I know the golf course pretty well, having played there three times. I executed executed really poorly, but <laughs> one of these times I, I I expect to play play well there. So. Hopefully, I get a chance to play there again. All right, any any final thoughts on whistling? We gotta move on. Yeah, we do. No, I have nothing else. Uh, I couldn't re- I couldn't recommend it more. I think it's uh, definitely a course to to put on the bucket list. Did you mention that you host an international renowned podcast and ask for your greens fee to be therefore waived? No, no. You I didn't, didn't introduce yourself. But, but that I should have told you to do that, dude. I. I I figured you just knew. No, um, that will be next year, though. We'll see. We'll see how how listenership is by next year. Yeah, Maybe we'll be going to. I want to go to Sand Valley. I could see that kid look. That kid. That kid doing check in, looking at me like I had five heads. Fight. <laughs> you got Great Lakes Golf Podcast. Never heard of it. <laughs> so next week we'll review Lawsonia because we followed up Whistling by playing one of the hardest golf courses I've ever played, and probably harder than Whistling the next day. So we'll talk about that next week because that was really, really an interesting golf course and one that you guys just have to hear about because it's totally different. (laughs) Very interesting. And uh, both of us shot higher scores at La Sonia than we did at Whistling. By a mile. By a a mile. sneak preview. (laughs) By a mile. Um, All right, Wells Fargo. Rory McIlroy back in the winner's circle. Way to go, dude. I I always give you so much flack for not performing to your potential, so... Way to go and win. I I was I thought the 18, I think it was like eight, he was in like the 16 to 18 range, which I thought was kind of short given his form. I should have known better, um, but I was happy to have a top 20 ticket on it at least. So I always cheer for Keith. I like Keith a lot. I've had the opportunity to meet Keith. Um, Georgia Bulldog, really a nice guy. So I was cheering for him. As well, and I also mentioned my interest in him because I thought he was a great fit, seeing as how well he hits his driver and can hit it right to left, and that golf course does favor that kind of a player. Um, so I was happy to see him in the mix, and I really thought that he handled himself very well on Sunday. I know he's won the Honda and has had some good finishes, but that's still a totally different animal when you're playing with Rory in the last group. It's a more premier event, and he played well. Really, a couple of shots, a couple of putts here and there, and we're talking about a different outcome. So I was glad for him to have a really good week. Uh, on the betting side, it was pretty rough for me. I was glad to have the Rory Top 20, like I said, answer to Top 20. 
snuck all the way up to boy, he just charged on Sunday to get all the way up to second, and Matt Jones snuck inside the top 40 for me. But other than that, it was pretty tough. You know, like my Cam Davis and more so my Aaron Wise outrights were somewhat interesting, and I knew those guys would be fine there because of their drivers. Um, and actually, the Aaron Aaron Wise, to his credit, that each way would have hit. Had he parred 18, he made bogey and ended up in like a tie for 7th or 8th or something instead of 6th. But yeah, I'm excited to get back at it with the Byron Nelson and maybe have a little more interesting of a Sunday afternoon. I could not resist <laughs> the Phil... We were talking about that on Thursday because a buddy is texting me, look at Phil. And I'm like, yeah, I got the plus 650 to top 20. Let's go. And he did what? Minus 7, mm, yeah, plus 4, true. plus 5, plus 3 or something to end in like a tie for 63rd. So, Phil, it's always fun, dude. And I'll be back. Surely I'll be back for more. So, just keep being you. Yeah, no, um... He looked good there. He sure did for for uh, a little bit. I I have to admit it's not that any book would ever offer this, but I went and checked to see if I could cash out my top twenty. I was like, <sighs> if they give me ten, but if they give me plus two hundred out of my plus six fifty, I'm taking it and cashing it. And I was foolish enough to back that with a top forty two. So I just burned ten dollars on Phil Mickelson last week. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I actually had a pretty good week. I went uh, went four for five again. Um, I had, uh, I'm trying to find it right now. I had Pat Perez to. Um, yeah, he hung on for you there. He had a good week. It's yeah. good on that golf course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pat you had- Perez, uh, Joel, Joel Dahman to top 30. Uh, that hit. You had a good and, week? Yes, he did. And then I'm pulling up the last one. I can't think of who. Who that? And I also hit um, a weird one. So I, I kept saying last week I wanted to have um, five bets every week, and I couldn't find one. I woke up Thursday morning a little bit of panic, and I put uh, on a three balls with Patrick Reed, Roy McIlroy, and Stuart Sink for the first round, and Reed was low ball there. So that sneaky, sneaky hit, even with even with McIlroy winning. You lucky dog. And then uh, Neiman. Uh, top 30 as well. Yeah, so, he snuck in there for that top 30, didn't he? He did, yeah. He was, uh, I didn't watch the early the early golf on Sunday, so uh, it was nice to see Perez and Neiman um, both pull it out. Yeah. Max, yeah. Max Homa, though, not uh, not his week. Yeah. He did not play well, so I did not, uh, did not take home anything. Well, I bet I had outrights on Harold Varner, uh, Will Zalatoris and Doc Redman, and they were 0 for 3 in making the cut. So, well, yeah, I told you about that. I told you Will was going to make the cut. I mentioned that to you, and you looked at me. I know. I couldn't see afraid. the forest for the trees there. Um, all right, let's preview the Byron Nelson, right? Yeah, let's do it. So, we're on a new golf course this year. It's kind of a. I don't know what would you call it. It's like a so-so week, so-so tournament, okay tournament. Yeah. I would say we're, we're this is the weakest tournament we have until the end of the summer. This is uh, not. Um. So we were at Trinity Forest, as I'm sure you guys remember, who are fans and watch golf on the weekends because it's the weirdest golf course that we've probably ever seen on the PJ Tour on television. Sung Kang won there the last time we played. Um, but we're not there anymore. It was it it just didn't work partly because 
uh, you know, I've read up on this a little bit and listened to some to some guys say that it was just a really poor spectator event because you're in Texas in May. It's very hot. You're playing at a golf course that has no trees. There's no shade. So they had people with medical situations, and it just wasn't a great event to attend. So now we're at a we're at TPC Craig Ranch, which is in McKinney, Texas. I think that's outside Dallas. Um, Zoysia Fairways, bent grass green, seventy five hundred yard par seventy two. Don't know a whole lot about the golf course. What I've been able to figure out is that the par fives appear to be reachable. So par five scoring is important, though not necessarily length, because I think like the majority of the field that is will be able to reach. Uh, for the longer hitters, however, there are there is at least one and potentially two drivable par fours. It sounds like so um, it does have some trees and some bunkering, and then there's a creek that runs through the property. But if you look at the photos of the golf course, it looks pretty forgiving. Off the tee, it looks mm-hmm. pretty easy. I think it's going to be pretty windy, so you have to be a good ball striker because it seems relatively open. So the winds kick up, particularly in the afternoon. Those will be a factor, and there is some kind of like mounding near the green, so there is some trickiness maybe to it. Not a whole lot of defense, though. I would imagine we're going to get a winning score here in the high teens or the uh, low 20s. Uh, did host a, this course hosted a 2008 and 2012 Corn Ferry, though that wasn't the name of the tour, the then championship. So in the 2012 edition, notables include James Hahn finished second, Adam Hadwin, Morgan Hoffman tied for third, neither of them are playing, neither is Russell Henley, though he tied for sixth, David Lingmurth tied for ninth, Ben Martin and Luke List um, both tied for 13th, and they're in the field this week, as is James Hahn, who got second. Uh, and Luke List and ben, ben Martin both made the cut and played well last week. Luke List, I think, had a top five. So he he always plays great at Quail Hollow, another guy that bombs it and hits it right to left off the tee. So interesting that he would be probably the only guy from that list that you would consider a bomber, um, mm-hmm. even though this course does seem to favor length. So I don't really know what to make of that. With no course history, you know, in betting, you're always trying to balance fit and form without a whole lot of data here in terms of fit. Uh, I think if you want to look at history or you want to look at fit, you have to look at Texas golf and maybe a little bit of TPC results, even though this doesn't look much like Scottsdale or maybe a little bit more like Scottsdale. Certainly it looks nothing like sawgrass or deer run or any of those but those golf courses kind of tend to favor a similar play and they end up with you know there's a lot of scoring there's a lot of birdies so you want birdie makers um in terms of targeting on the gambling side so i'll take you through the top of the board and then hunter you can tell us your picks for the week Bryson and Rahm are in the 8-1 to range at the very top. DJ and Spieth are behind that at around 11. Berger, 16. Decky is back in action for the first time since the Masters, and I'm sure what has been a wild little weeks-long parade for him throughout the throughout Japan. He's 18-1. to 
Uh, Fitzpatrick and Scheffler are 20-1. to 1. Scheffler seems really interesting this week. Brooks and Zalatoris are 25. Burns and Leishman, 33-1. to 1. So glad I hit Burns before he got up into this range. Um, English, Harris English, Siwoo Kim, 40-1. to 1. Sergio and Ryan Palmer, 45. And Jason Day, 50-1. to 1. So you can see like it's kind of top-heavy. And then after this fifty to one, like it really sort of falls off in terms of uh, the guys who are in this field. It's not that strong of a uh, of a field. I mean, we're playing. We're talking the. Uh, we're getting really close to the PGA here. So. Yeah. Exactly. Any? Do you have any strong takes on this tournament or any guys that you're targeting? No. No. Like you said, it, it is going to be tough to with the fact that uh, it's the first time playing at this golf course and with only the the two what was formerly the web.com event or web.com tour championship to go off of. Uh, I did a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, same fairways as Trinity Forest. It's that Zoysia grass. Uh, these are going to be bent grass greens, though. Um, with Aaron Wise's success at Trinity Forest, I am going to take him to top 30 plus 175. He's top 10. Top ten on tour in approach, so my my thinking being, because the golf course is unfamiliar, it's going to definitely benefit ball strikers. So my thought process is Aaron Wise top thirty because he can ball strike. Um, I like Doug Gim to top thirty at plus two hundred. He is uh, went to University of Texas. Uh, and has actually been playing some very good golf over the the last several months. And you can so, get plus numbers on both those guys to top 40, too. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, your boy, uh, Charles Swartzel, is plus 115 to top 30. I don't love, <clears throat> I don't love that one quite as much, but uh, he has played well coming into this. Obviously, he lost in the playoff with Louis. Uh, T21 at Copperhead, T14 at Quail Hollow. So he is he is in decent form. And then I'm going to give you one outright, which is unusual of me, but I... Wow, I, Hunter, I, coming I, ready to go with an outright pick. I actually really like... I love Mark Leishman this week. I, li- I like him a lot this week. Because uh, it's windy, you mean? Yeah, because it's windy. He has very good history in Texas. He's T5. He T5 at the Masters. Um... I love Mark Leishman at 30. I, I heard you say 33 to 1. I only saw 26, so I might have to shop a little bit. But. Interesting. That may have been when that may have been bet down since yesterday when I pulled those odds down too. Yeah. Interesting pick hunter. He had no form before Augusta. Nope. Didn't, didn't, didn't need it apparently. Did just fine without it. And he is good in the <laughs> win. Good ball striker, so. And then uh you mentioned Scotty. I don't I don't know what to think about Scotty Scheffler. But one more name that I do like, I just don't know if I like his odds, uh, especially with the his seems like what his constant ailments is Daniel Berger. Uh, I mean, you look at his stats; he is the top twenty in darn near every category: total driving, greens regulation, strokes gains, putting, adjusted scoring, par three scoring, par four scoring. So obviously, he's playing pretty well. I just don't know that because what was that was um, wasn't he in the field? Uh, the week after the RBC and pulled out, I thought he had some some wrist injury came up, so he has been resting since he T13 did RBC. I just don't know what 
where his health is right now. I can look it up for the corrections, but I don't actually know the answer to that unless you want to look it up right now. But Yeah, go ahead and give us some picks and I will uh, clarify that. So I don't have a great beat on this because it's a new a new venue and so it's so unfamiliar and because the field is really top heavy and if it's going to favor driving I kind of felt this way last week and it ended up being Rory instead of not to say that Keith didn't have a really good chance to win and had long odds and it would have hit in each way but you know we talked about how last week we did expect some of the heavyweights to be involved at the top if this golf course ends up favoring driving in addition to just overall ball striking you know I I like I like Rom again I don't like the number I won't bet it but I know he played terrible on Thursday but he played fine on Friday at Quail Hollow I'm not doubting the form um and I like Bryson Bryson's weakness right now continues to be his iron play, and it sounds like even though there's some long par threes here, if he can take his long irons out of his bag with his driver and hit a lot of wedges and pitches onto these greens, he's probably going to make a ton of birdies because his putting is just unbelievable. I mean, he's probably the best putter on tour right now. So I'm not going to invest real heavy this week. I saw two guys right off the bat that I thought were interesting for... um. Just guys that stood out to me. One is Bo Hostler. And I have to look up. Are you laughing? No, I saw that. I saw that same name um, earlier this morning and actually caught my eye too, just given. Um, so he's another, Tex- another Texas kid. Another Texas kid. He's not been playing a PJ Tour winner. He's not been playing great of late, but this is his best. I think this is probably his best remaining. Uh, like this is the I'm not going to bet him very often, but this stands out as one of the times where he seems like value, and he's in a current in a form that yields some really interesting odds, like plus four forty to top forty. So a five dollar yeah. bet wins you more than twenty. So I went ahead and put it just a tiny little piece on the 350 to one. I don't expect him to win or really even contend, but I expect him to grind in his home state. And I think if it's forgiving off the T, which is his weakness, he can survive that. So I have a little piece there. Um, the other guy who stood out to me that in terms of just a value was Taylor Gooch. Taylor Gooch, 80 to one. Um, in a top-heavy field, I mentioned I like the favorites, but if the favorites aren't involved, I think it's wide open the rest of the way. I don't think there's a huge difference between the guys in the 40s and 50s and Taylor Gooch. So I thought that was good value, and he's in relatively good form. Good enough for me to you know, jump on at least a, at least a little bit at the 80 number. He's down to 70, it looks like, on... Fan duel here in Michigan, but um, I think that's kind of interesting. And then this might be like I might be really chasing something here, so this won't be heavy. But among the guys I mentioned, 
who played here in 2012 and did fairly well. Not great. Tied for 13th in a Corn Ferry Tour Championship isn't awesome, but it's fine. Is Ben Martin and made the cut. And nobody knows who this guy is or what he's doing. But apparently he can play this golf course. And he made the cut at Quail Hollow and he has a big number. So I'm contemplating plus 230 to top 40. It's not quite the value that Hostler is, but, um, you know, I think that's sort of interesting. I like, like you mentioned, Charles, I, I like that, but some of those guys in that category, their odds have skyrocketed based on the quality of this, or lack thereof, of this field. Mm-hmm. So, like, Ryan Palmer, if you want to bet him to win the PGA, is 100 to 1. He's 34 to 1 now here. Some of these numbers on Fando look like they've, some guys have been hit and that some of these numbers have come down or their numbers are just a little lower, but there's not a lot of these guys in the in the 50s and 60s or whatever that stand out. So I don't, I think I'm going to kind of sit back um, and watch this. The one other guy that I'll mention, because I think he's an interesting story and people probably don't know who he is when they surf through the odds boards, John Catlin. You know who that is? Mm-mm. So he's an American guy that's been playing over on the Euro Tour, and he wins. So I think he, I know he's won at least one tournament this year. I don't think it was long ago. I may have been within the last month. Um, oh, I don't really know the exact circumstances which led to him playing over there, but he's here to play the PGA. So he must have come a few weeks early. My guess is he's going to play this week and then go... Um get ready or whatever but 120 to 1 probably similar i would imagine he has similar odds in the pga this guy's a winner so like i think that's kind of interesting and uh if you can get an each way with that like don't be surprised if you see this guy named john catlin on the leaderboard now i have no idea how he'll play or i just know that he has winning upside and he's at a really, really long odds here. Yeah, he. Um, so funny you mentioned that because he actually has three European Tour wins. One of them just within the last month, at the I want to say it was in the last month, month and a half, at the uh, Australian Golf Open, and he was in a five, a five hole extra playoff. Whoa! And won, and he was he was dead in the water a couple times. So, yeah, he it was a par three. It was very exciting. I definitely recommend all of our listeners go watch that video, Australian Open, five-hole playoff. It was some. It was very exciting. I do like your Aaron Wise pick. I, you heard me talk about him. I was on him earlier. I just think he's another one of those guys that's like all of a sudden his odds have shot up a little bit, and it's like, whoa, you know, just because he had a decent week last week. So uh, One more, a uh, little bit looking forward. I, I think I'm going to put a bet on Victor Hovland. Uh, for the PGA. Yeah, what kind of a number? I looked last night, and I'll tell you, I, I, that was the last thing I wanted to mention is I did add a couple for that. What'd you, what did you, what have you seen number-wise? I have him at 22 right now. Oh, my gosh, that's short. I saw 28 last night, and I thought that was too short. I will tell you this. Most of the odds should fade. Mm-hmm. Like, Hovland's not playing this week. I, I find it hard to believe that his number would shorten over the next seven days. So if you see guys in under 50, I might urge you to wait. 
if you see long odds of guys that are playing and playing well, and you want to bet the former or whatever, then take it now. Like I did with Answer at 80. I'm glad I did that because he's up to 50 after his second place finish last week, which is exactly what I said would happen. Um, But the other two guys that I added are Bubba at 100. Finished terrible um, on 17 and 18 over the weekend, but otherwise had a great week. I think it was in like fifth or something, sixth place, something like that, when he teed off on... Uh, 17T, and he had sustained good form leading into that. So I thought the 100 was, she's a world-class player. Um, and then Matt Wallace is hot. And he's 90, to, he was 90 to 1. So I added that too. So I'm, I'm sitting on some tickets. I got, I'm waiting on Siwoo because his numbers got to get longer from 66, but I know I'm going to add that. I have Horschel at 100, Bubba at 100, Wallace at 90, answer at 80 and then I'll see if maybe I can figure out the top of the board here as we go over the next couple weeks if JT keeps playing kind of and he goes into that 18 to 20 range I'll be all over that yeah that'd be nice to see because I would also pop on that very quickly Rory's gonna all of a sudden get tons of love and be the favorite at Kiwa he's already (laughs) at the top of the board just like that boom he almost we didn't talk about it but he almost lost that golf tournament on 18 I don't know if you ever was that a legal drop uh, it had something to do with it was a local rule, um, some local rule. I, I was it I called the Rory rule? Could have been, certainly could have been. I uh, I had no answer for yeah. Time. I had no answer for. I think it was my wife. She's like, that doesn't look right. That's not where the ball crossed the line of the hazard. And yeah, so there's a quail but maybe hollow. oh it did no it did it did it, it landed on the hillside. But then, um, it landed even, if it, on, even if it does land or doesn't land on the hillside, they if it lands on the fairway side, the officials are making they made all players take a drop on the hillside, the side oh. closer, closer to the hill, no matter what the entry point was. Okay, okay, so, so it would have been legal anyway, but he was dropping based on the local rule. Yeah, so yeah, no, boy, that was that. All of a sudden, it was over, and then it wasn't. Well, I guess I, I say ever that, seen like, Rory. Hook a tee shot in a high-pressure situation? My gosh, dude, come on. Yesterday. Hit a cut. Just hit anything. Anything that's not there. And he went shorter than driver. I'd be like, dude, this is the best club in your bag. Nuke it. Yeah. I would have handed him the driver there 100 times out of 100, wouldn't you? I know the fairway kind of runs out on the right, but hit it right. Don't hit it left. No, and then he hits uh hits an eight iron from 190 yards out of just some thick, thick rough, and and then I I guess you're wondering, are, is that a good idea to drop it at that point? But then you don't you keep in you have to keep in mind the fact that he is able to hit an eight iron that far, and losing a shot there was not the worst thing in the world. That really could have been. I think that was a pretty mature decision. It was a great that, choice. That could have been uh, some serious catastrophe. No doubt. If he does, just I mean, so that would yeah. have been that would have been much bigger news than him winning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought because uh, I did you watch any of it on Sunday? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I watched uh, it back nine. Yeah, Keith. Um, what was that? Thirteen, maybe. Um, he chose to um, pitch it, chip it, rather than what looked like it had been maybe an easier putt, the drivable par four. Yeah, and Rory took advantage of it. I think it's 14, like a, yeah. A little bit of a, a turning point 
and um, that shot Keith hit on either, I think it was 17, was really, really good. So he gave himself an opportunity. He played well. Yeah. But I, it's really good to see Roy win again once that, after like six weekends off in a row or something. It just shows you, again, you got to buy the drift. The drift yeah. wasn't as much as it should have been because of the course history kept that number short, but still, he was like the fifth favorite. It's one of his best courses on tour. We should have known, but it's always tough to bet those outrights under 20. Um, so the, the guy that I'm... Rory was that guy last week. The guy that's that guy this week is Scheffler, and he's yeah. right on that 20 number, and he's so hard not to like i think he's gonna try as hard as anybody in the field this week to win um and then the other guy that had drift obviously is brooks but he's hard to figure out right now yeah all right next week we'll review lawsonia good luck on the byron nelson yeah we'll uh hopefully it goes well i'm excited to watch all right thanks hunter yep see ya Thanks for listening. Just one correction today. We mentioned that Daniel Berger had been battling a wrist injury. In fact, his most recent withdrawal was actually due to a rib injury. Um, But he does appear healthy, and he will be teeing it up this week at the Byron Nelson. We hope everyone has a great weekend, enjoys the action from McKinney, Texas, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our sponsor, Reed Furniture in downtown Petoskey.